This is a continuation of our last episode. Here's part three of The Signs. We talk about um, kids being sexualized and a lot of these behaviors that were present in Doreen, but I think we should address another angle of this story that you can kind of find it when it buried in there when you look up articles about Doreen. Um, it very briefly mentions like on the Charlie project and on NamUs and those things um, that there was a pedophile within the family. That is sort of a complicated story, but we're going to try to explain that to you right now. So when we first met the family, Donna, Debbie, Carol, and Stephanie at Donna's house back in January, um, that was the only information regarding that that we were armed with. There's this one sentence that you can find online that there was the history of of a pedophile being within the family. And the story sort of at that first day started to come out a little bit that something that happened was this was Doreen's sort of her, her uncle by marriage. It was uh, Debbie's husband at the time. Doreen wanted to watch a pornographic tape and she knew that this uncle that Debbie's husband at the time had this tape and she begged and begged to watch it and um this uncle because she just kept pushing it and pushing it he eventually gave in and let her watch this porn tape um and she was 12 years old this was about two weeks prior to her going missing. Um, it's hard to talk about because when we asked the aunts later, who's this pedophile? They said, oh, it must have been this man, uh, Debbie's now ex-husband. And they said, oh, but he wasn't a pedophile. He was just pressured by Doreen to show her that because she pushed him hard enough. I disagree. I think if you're in a position like that. Yeah. that Well, the way that it was described to us, uh, they sort of underplayed it like, no, no, he's not a pedophile. He's nothing like that. Uh, it was just a bad decision at the time. It was a, a, a poor judgment at the time, giving into this um, demands for her to wanting to watch this tape. And we're still unclear as to why she knew that he had that tape. This was when they were all living. I don't think they were living in the same apartment, but she was living down the hall from him when she was with Donna, her mother. Uh, and Carol was there and Debbie was there as well. But um, yeah, it's just, it, it's just a hard thing to listen to. Now, speaking of he owns my body, not me, um, one of the hardest things I think I heard is that um, Doreen begged one of her uncles on her mother's side to watch a porn tape. I don't know how she knew that he had it. Okay. But she begged and begged and begged and begged for this porn tape, and so he let her watch it. He let her watch it? Yes. How old was she? I think it was about two weeks before she went missing. Wow. So 12. Wow. Yeah. Um, you, uh, at that time... In the 80s, that's not 
that's not um, regular behavior. Nowadays it might be because children are, are um, what's the word I'm looking for? Exposed to porn <laughs> via their phones all the time. It's accessible everywhere. So if a 12-year-old came in now and said they had seen porn, it would not alarm me now the way it would have in the 80s. Okay. When you had to walk to a, a little corner store, buy a magazine, face the guy who's selling them. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a whole different world now. But that is not normal behavior. That's the behavior of somebody who's been sexualized. So when children are sexually abused, they become sexualized. They don't own their bodies anymore, so they put them out there any way they need to to get attention or affection or whatever, and this is a line that they can cross because it's been crossed with them. Okay. So that's not a that's not a um, something that a child that's been raised appropriately would do. Right. It's also not appropriate to let her watch it. Of course not. You right. Know, obviously. So. Right. Clearly some parental or whatever judgment issues there. And Jess, I think this might be a good moment to share the clip that we have when you talk to Jane about this mm-hmm. and what she sort of described as Mark's reaction to this. I don't you must know the story about um Debbie's husband and the video. Do you know that story? Yes I do. Okay. Yeah. that but I was thinking like not only should he not be in there in the first place but like um I think your daughter said something about catching her doing something in the shower which is you know a slightly different story but think about that if you're Doreen and you're doing that and your father starts to come in the bathroom you would stop right you you wouldn't allow yourself to be caught now what Debbie said and this made a lot of sense to me was that Debbie said Maybe she saw something, maybe Doreen saw something in that video, came home and was sexually active with Mark, or he was abusing her, and Doreen said or did something different that she had never heard from him. Exactly, that happened too. Yes, and then he said he wanted to know why she, how did you know this? Oh, what's, I don't know that story, that happened as well? Yeah. Okay. Can you? Can yeah, he said that to me. Mark said that to me. T- can you tell? I know he said that right to me. And I says, well, why? What was the thing? You know, I wanted to know why he went there. I didn't even know about the the movie. I had no clue about that mm-hmm. until he said it after. You know. And then I says, well, what made you do this? He goes, well, she was in the bathroom trying to use the. A plunger. I said, oh, my God, that is, that is a, that's so painful. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds stupid. But then, you know, 
know, crazier things happen when they have sex. You know, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I, I'm greedy to that stuff. Well, did he, so he came over. Were you there when he came over to confront your, um, your son-in-law? No, no, I wasn't there then, no. Okay. It was, uh, he came at like 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning or something. I was a ridiculous dying from what I, I think it was, that's how crazy he is. It was like late, early in the morning. Yeah, I think. It was early in the morning. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like daylight or anything like that. So he really got spastic when she, and she went, I don't know how, that's what I think happened exactly. So she knew something about the movie and that he couldn't figure out, well, why? How did you learn this? Right. And she said it. She didn't know. She's young. Yeah. She said, I saw the movie. That's what they did in the movie. You know, she thought, she thought it was okay. You right. know, well, if you can do these things to me, well, I can watch a movie, you know? Well, that's the other thing. You know, when I was 12, I mean, maybe I was starting to be curious, but I wasn't seeking out porn. You know what I mean? Exactly. Okay, there's a lot to unpack in that clip right there. <laughs> um, because that's another angle of the story that you heard little pieces of it in there that we were told, not fully understanding it in the very beginning, that... Um, Mark had caught Doreen, quote, doing something in the shower. Um, and that was told to us on the first night back in January when we first met all the women. Right. And that's his excuse for knowing about the porn tape. Yeah. Um, and then about a month or so later, when you spoke to Jane, um, she claims that Mark said that he walked into the bathroom and caught Doreen um, trying to put a plunger inside of herself. Uh, so then I had talked to Debbie about this previously without the plunger detail. And I called her and I said, I just want to let you know what your mother said and get your thoughts. Um, and there was silence on the other end for a while. And then she said, yeah, that's true. That's just one of the things that I was talking about before where these things are difficult to talk about so we get some of the details we don't get the full details um you know until someone mentions it or we press um but it, to me it goes back to mark saying that something happened to try to minimize what actually happened mm -hmm. it's not normal to go into the bathroom or the shower and see your 12 year old showering. Cause remember that's the, it's about two weeks before she went missing. So whatever happened in his mind saying, I caught my daughter masturbating with a plunger in the shower is somehow better for him. Yeah. It sort of is a means to underplay the whole walking into the bathroom and looking at her while she's in the shower. Yeah. It's it, sort of a way to sort of underplay and sort of brush over that part by, you know, with the added element of masturbating with the end of a plunger. Right. But I mean, we have no idea whether there was a shower, whether there was a plunger. You heard me say that Debbie suggested that she had been, uh, I guess had more sexual knowledge via this porn tape because that's how he found out. He says that's how he found out. And it's so angering to me that this little girl is not here to tell us exactly what happened and how her father found out. We've got Mark's story. Mark again has been telling 
Doreen's story from the beginning, and it's time we are taking it back. Coming back to the porn tape, this yes. is this has always really bothered me. The reason that the women found out about the porn tape was because Doreen went back to her father's house. Now the uncle on the mother's side had shown her this tape. She went back to her father's house, Doreen, and Mark woke them all up the next morning in a rage at the door, very early morning, screaming about what this guy had done. How did he know? So originally the mom and the aunts told me it was because he found Doreen doing something to herself in the shower. Okay. Why was he in the shower? Well, right. Okay. Then I think as the women started to trust me a little bit more, the story, the full story came out that he had found her, that he had found Doreen masturbating with a plunger in the shower. At what age? Twelve. Okay. To me, that's a very specific yes. story. Yes, very specific. Almost like the confession that you talked about before, where you bring up the details, but you change other details to make yourself look innocent. Right. Very possible. Because he... It's another one of those situations where he showed up showing the emotion that a concerned father should have. Yes. He kept screaming at Doreen's Aunt Debbie, I should beat his ass. I should kill him. Yeah. While the uncle's standing in the doorway. Did he? No. Okay. Never laying a hand on the uncle, but screaming at Debbie. And Debbie's thought was, I mean, first she was, you know, horrified. Sure. And she said it was the end of her marriage. But at the same time, she's looking at Mark thinking to herself, are you kidding me right now? Right. Right. Because he has never acknowledged that he abused her. I think, well, it's like you just said, it, it's, it's Mark controlling the story, taking control over the story. Yeah. And, you know, when I first heard that story, what stuck in my head was... Look, I don't know Debbie's ex-husband. I haven't had the chance to interview him. I don't know his take on what happened the night that he showed Doreen porn. Let's put that aside for one second, if you can. Because it's, again, this is very difficult to talk about. I always thought to myself, look, from what I know about Mark, he's a pedophile. Yeah. From what I know from Debbie and Carol, he's a pedophile. I believe personally and this is my opinion that he was sexually abusing Doreen for me it because remember guys he went to Debbie's door very early in the morning screaming with Debbie in the doorway screaming I should kill him I should kill him I should kill him that's how Debbie found out about it and I've been saying since the beginning it's like an animal that saw another animal going after his prey Mm -hmm. and he lashed out against the animal but it what really pisses me off here is that he didn't scream at Debbie's ex-husband who was there in the doorway. He screamed at Debbie and Debbie said, I can't believe that you're here in my doorway screaming about what my, cause she's again, horrified, but she's looking at the man who molested her as a child. Well, yeah. Talking about an animal 
wanting ownership over its prey. It's just like when he beat up Carol's boyfriend mm-hmm. when um, when Carol was about 13 years old and he, you know, Mark as what, like a 19, 20 year old no, man? No, I think he was like, I mean, not that it matters, but I think he was like 22 or 23. Okay, so like a, a kid. young man in his early 20s beating up a 13 year old boy, leaving him with a split lip and a black eye. and right. And when we first... I think that story was first relayed to you at Donna's house. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't want to say that we laughed about it because we heard, okay, one time Mark punched Carol's boyfriend in the face. And it sounds in the in the light of everything we're talking about, it sounded sort of silly. I didn't really know the details because I wasn't there for that telling. Um, And we always had it under our belts as like, oh, Mark's not physical with people. The one time that we know he was physical with someone was when he punched this kid Gary in the face. That's that's sort of the measure of this story is that we hear things like that and we're like, ah, an adult man punched some kid in the face. It's not a big deal. It was when I found out from Carol just recently that it really was what seems to be a jealousy thing and a territory Mm -hmm. thing with Mark. Um, And I think that's why the character study that we're trying to build of Mark is so important because you can see the exact parallel. You talked about parallels last week, Sarah, Mm -hmm. in punching Gary in the face is is the same as as coming and trying to attack or saying you're going to attack Debbie's ex-husband. Also, I think it's important to note that, you know, Donna's family didn't tell the record journal that there was a pedophile in the family. Right. Um, People may differ. Again, I I have a really hard time with this story and showing a little girl pornographic material. You know, others say that's not pedophilia. Again, I'm going to differ, but Mark reported that to the record journal or Sharon did. And again, taking control of the narrative and attempting to steer suspicion another way to deflect yeah there's somebody else yeah people in the followers page recently asked wasn't there a pedophile in the family wasn't that just mark and just the short answer no it's this poor little girl was surrounded on all sides i think yeah and i think that we need to talk about too something karen talks about uh very eloquently um when a child has been sexualized that child's subsequent behavior around adults maybe she wanted to see something like that because you know for a lot of people or maybe children you know porn is the way that you learn how to you know do what's expected i don't think i mean yes that 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 could be true but i don't think that that would have been a go-to thing for a kid in the 80s without having been exposed to it themselves already Mm mm-hmm most kids' reaction, if you show them, if they see something like that, most children would respond like, ooh, that's gross. Like, why are you doing that? That's what I did when I first saw it. Me too. I what was the horrified. hell is that? Yeah. Horrified when I f- heard about sex. Why would anybody do that? I'll never do it. <laughs> um, you know, that's the normal, healthy, emotionally healthy react- reaction to something like as children don't have the capacity to understand that behavior mm-hmm. if they're not already sexualized themselves that makes sense right okay so when when you see children like in here if i if i have a um a foster kid that comes in Mm -hmm. a child who's been sexually abused will act hypersexual around adults so for instance 
you may have like a, a nine-year-old little girl who's sitting on dad's lap, facing him, kissing him constantly, touching him. To you and I, it's, you know, cringeworthy. But to a child who's been sexually abused, that's normal behavior. Okay. That's how you get to be special and get attention and, and all of that stuff. So that child will be extremely productive and affectionate okay. and sexualized. So, I mean, the one thing we know about um, people who sexually abuse other people is by the time they're caught, they have many, many victims. Right. Almost always many, many victims that didn't speak up. It, you know, it's, it's been going on forever. So where there's smoke, there's usually fire. I don't know if I can say that, but, you know, if everybody's worried about it and everybody thinks that, that that's what happened and there's a history of it in the family, right. it seems likely or very possible. Well, I think that she pretty much summed it up right there, is that um, all of these things, when you sort of stack them all up, it's too many things to deny and too many things to be a coincidence. And the, the signs are just too overwhelming at this point. Yeah, what Karen said in the last episode about why does this keep coming up? Is it because of what you know about Mark or is it because of what you know about Doreen? And it's it's both. Doreen's story, we told through the women last time because it was so important for you to get the sense of what happened with them so you can see it reflected back uh, in their niece. I want to share this one clip of something that Carol said to you. I, it makes me it makes me so angry because I realize like just how um, you know, Mark controlled your entire family, like you, your sisters, your mother, um, and then eventually Doreen. Yeah, exactly. Went all the way down the line. Yeah. Um, being female, you know? Well, and children, too, you know? Right. We were kids. We were kids. That's what, that's just the way Carol sums it up. They were kids and they were naive and they didn't know, they were groomed to the point that they didn't know that they were victims. I think they still can't fully wrap their minds around it. And I know there are a lot of people out there looking for someone to blame. And a lot of people who are going to take a long, hard look at Donna and Debbie and Carol. And, you know, there are hard questions to be asked here, but I want everybody to remember what you know about Mark. Mm -hmm. Donna and Debbie and Carol might have made some mistakes, but they are not the bad people in this situation. I want you guys to take in everything you're learning and will be learning about Mark because I, I just, I have no words. Well, I think that that's something we all have to keep in mind too, is that um, there are a lot of people who we are in touch with regarding the podcast and people in the group and whatnot, who really don't have a lot of nice things to say about Donna and the rest of that family. And I just think that you really need to keep in mind that, they were the first victims. I mean, Donna was 15 years old when Mark started following her around in his car. And as Jane put it, started stalking her. And, you know, she, she became pregnant in the mid-70s. I mean, that was a very difficult time to be in that situation. Um, the thing to do would be to either give the baby up for adoption or to get married they chose the latter. Um, and then 
it turned out that Donna also had two younger sisters. And I mean, Mark already as an adult man, 18, 19 years old, was showing interest in an adolescent girl already with Donna. So now you have two other girls in the mix, too. And, and the neighborhood girl down the and street. And the neighborhood girl, too, that we bleeped out in that in that first episode. Right. So I just think everybody needs to just keep that in mind, too. And it's like you just said. I mean, nobody was perfect. I mean, Donna told us the very first night that we met her. I remember interviewing her, and she even said to me, like, I know I made my share of mistakes because I was only 16 when I had her. Um. And it's like we've talked about a lot on this podcast, too. Uh, they, You can tell how much they struggle with guilt, especially Donna. Um, just, you can tell that she wishes, in hindsight, that some things had turned out differently. Right. And I've been getting deluged with private messages from listeners of the podcast talking about Uh, their own sexual abuse, um, the sexual abuse of their daughters. And I think that, I guess people think that there are easy answers to be had. Um, I wanted to share, this woman wrote to me about her daughter who was sexually abused by a relative. Um, She says, um, I don't know if you mind if I just read this, Sarah. Oh, go ahead. She let me share this. Mm Mm-hmm. And I I believe I posted it on the followers page, but I wanted everyone to hear. I wanted to post this on the latest post about sexual abuse, but didn't want to post using my info out of respect for my daughter. As a mother of a child who was sexually molested, I will tell you that in today's day and age, going to the police really doesn't do all that much. In her case, she was molested by her stepbrother. And when it came to the authorities, it was her word against his. There was no proof. And since he didn't admit to it, there was nothing that could be done. I went to court to try and get sole custody of my youngest. This boy is her half-brother and lives with her father, my ex-husband. And I was told that just because this boy did it to my oldest daughter, there was no way to say that he would do it to my younger daughter. Also, when I stood up for my daughter, my ex's family stopped talking to us because that is just something that was handled privately, and in their eyes, you aren't supposed to go to the authorities. So since this time, my oldest daughter has been in counseling, still has night terrors, and can tell you exactly where she was when each occurrence happened. She has had to sit through court proceedings, hear adults testify that she was making it all up, even though CPS indicates that this did happen to her, but could not place blame on the boy because there was no proof, and then have nothing happened to this kid at all. My youngest daughter, due to me sticking up for my child, has no relationship with anyone on her father's side of the family. And since I dismissed my case for sole custody, as they wanted to give my ex more time with her, he was around for two months and we haven't heard from him since. It has been four and a half years. So if they would have told authorities, chances are nothing would have been done. It would have been his word against theirs, and not to mention the trauma that a survivor goes through having to retell every detail of what happened to them over and over and over again. Nothing would have stopped Mark from doing what he was doing, regardless of the situation. If anything, he may have done them more harm, and not to mention that most victims are told it is their fault and not to say anything or they will be in trouble as well. He also could have been threatening them to hurt them or someone else that they loved. So 
I just want to remind everyone that we're dealing with a really difficult, thorny subject. And I want everybody to think really hard before we start assigning blame to the women. I want you to focus on Mark. And I think it's very important to remember, and even Carol said it in that last clip, they were all kids at the time that Mark entered their lives. And I mean, it's the same thing with Doreen. I mean, that's why we did the history episode, because everything that happened in that history sets the precedent for everything we just shared with you in this episode and the last episode. I mean, all of these signs, all of these memories that people have of Doreen and things that she said, uh, she was a kid. She was 12 years old. She was three months shy of her 13th birthday. Um, but there's something very, um, very, very bittersweet that I want to share here, too. And this happened within the conversation that you had with Jane. And um, the, the, there's two different clips here, and I just have to share both of them. And so here's just a clip of a nice memory from Jane. I think about her every day. I told, I, she used to toast her toast just like I do. <laughs> and I think of her every day. I do toast. <laughs> what do you mean she used to toast her toast? Doreen used to toast her toast just like me. How does that, what do you mean? Tell me. Well, she had to have butter on every part of the bread. <laughs> and I do the same thing. <laughs> and when I do it, I think of her every day. <laughs> Yeah, if I have toast, I go, this is Doreen toast. <laughs> Doreen used to toast her toast. <laughs> yeah. All right, and here's the second part of that. You know, it, it dredges up, what we're doing dredges up a lot of stuff. And at first I thought, you know, Donna was so stoic. Like she was so, you know, put together. And she was crying at one point. And Stephanie said, I don't think I've ever seen my mother cry about this. Um, I knew she, I was too. <laughs> That you were... I was talking about the toast. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's so stupid. No, it's... <laughs> you know, but I'm going to be okay. I'll recover. I'm sorry. No. I don't mean to do this. No, please. Please. It's... I mean... I've been crying. I've been crying. And I just met your whole family two months ago. And I... <sighs> You should cry. I know, I, they told me you went to bingo even. <laughs> yeah, I did. Because I really, I really like them. Bingo? Oh my God. <laughs> you know? Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you I don't. You won. <laughs> I didn't win anything. You know why? Because I wasn't paying any attention. Um, no, I, uh, you know, it's, it's because I, I find stuff and I want to share it with them. And I called up and they were going to bingo. And then one day I called him up and I wanted to share something with them. And it was, you know, it was the 24th. It was Donna's birthday. I know it. I you know. know. It. Um, yeah. So they've really opened themselves up. Yeah. And, you know, my mother's birthday, my mother's birthday and Debbie, uh, Doreen's birthday are the same day. Oh, wow. September 30th. That was such a sweet memory. The toast, the Doreen toasting her toast. And whenever... Jane has toast now. She's got to do a Doreen toast. It's really hard for me to listen to that because it's it, she feels guilty for crying mm -hmm. all these years later. So if you want to listen to that clip, people want to come at us for being passionate and not being entirely objective. Sorry, that's out the window. I mean, I'll take yeah. the mantle of not being objective anymore. That's fine. Yeah.
I want to end on a piece of audio from Karen. And I just, I've, I've talked to you, Jess, about this quote from Karen a little bit, just because it's so eloquent and so just beautiful, the way that she phrases it, talking about, um, she's just talking about children and hope. I told you we got about 30 photos Mm -hmm. from her brother. Mm -hmm. Um, Her smile in those photos is absolutely genuine. Mm -hmm. It strikes me. She looks like she's radiating happiness. She's got her brother and her sister with her in every picture. And from having spoken to her brother, the memories of her, I mean, he loved her Uh greatly. Um, I guess it it sounds like a silly question, maybe, but it's obviously possible to have that part of your personality function. Sure, sure. Even if chaos is happening to you. Absolutely. People survived concentration camps and found joy in (sighs) in them. It's It's the human spirit, the 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 need to survive you know so even the most horrifying circumstances people are able to find joy in them and and often that's the thing that keeps the person going and makes them resilient is the ability to find joy in the midst of horror absolute horror yeah that's the word i was going to use was going to be resiliency yeah you know i think i've read somewhere that like children are more resilient than adults absolutely yeah why is that because, I, I mean, I don't know my personal um, opinion or theory is that because they have infinite hope, you know, they don't become cynical and, and pessimistic until they're old enough to understand what's happening around them. But the innocence of being a child, there's always something better around the corner. Everything's new. Everything is... is uh, a revelation so maybe tomorrow will be better right and we as adults get get to a place where we realize well t- maybe tomorrow won't be better right but are, don't we also have more perspective like we have a lot more perspective and we don't have magical thinking children believe in magic you know they believe one time my son said to me he was like seven years old he was playing a video game and and he said to me mom when I die how many more lives do I get yeah and and I you know, it just floored me when he said it because he really did believe because of the video games and stuff that it's no big deal if you die, you get another life or two or three or four. Mm-hmm. And having not grown up with video games, that would have never crossed my mind, but it crossed his because of what okay. he was seeing in front of him. Um, children are, are amazing in their capacity to survive things. And it's, it's horrifying what so many children have to survive. So being able to believe that, okay, this terrible thing is happening to me, but someday a prince is going to ride up on a horse and rescue me, or my fairy godmother is going to come and take me away from this, is possible for a long time, you know? I think even as teenagers, we still believe in that sometimes. Yeah. So the ability to have hope, I think children just have a lot of it. That is such a perfect summation from Karen right there. It's like just a ray of light in a story filled with darkness, I think. When Paul gave me those pictures, it was well after 
we had seen the two or three or four that have been bounced around. Mm-hmm. Um, Lauren Tacoris is working on a feature about this show and our efforts. Yep. And Sarah, you had a great idea. Let's give Lauren all of these pictures of Doreen that Paul has given us because it really breathes life into a little girl that, you know, maybe somebody might have found bitter or morose or angry or, you know, in the words of one particular person, spooky. She wasn't spooky. She was a little beautiful girl that had a lot of hope and a really genuine, beautiful smile. And I just hope that she still had some of that left. Um, you know, we, I look at those pictures when I try to make myself, I, when I try to remind myself how important this work that we're doing is. And I think that when I first saw those pictures, when you showed them to me as we were recording in here, it just, um, you know, at that point, the, I had only seen a few pictures of Doreen at that point. And I think, um, you know, when you read newspaper articles or you search online, there's really only a couple pictures. There's the, the one school picture that's usually just in black and white. Uh, and then there's the pink dress picture. Um, and that's almost it. I mean, you can find a, a, a couple other ones here and there, but when we actually saw those pictures when i when you showed them to me it made it clear that this was a real kid a normal mm-hmm. girl a normal girl who had by no fault of her own the uh, the uh, it was the adults who were in her life at the time that you know uh, the the man who was raising her, who, who she lived with, and uh, just other people that were in her life at the time, that kind of altered that and derailed that for her in mm-hmm. the end. And I find myself, there are a lot of times where I have to take a break from this case because it gets, it gets really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets really hard to sink down deep into it, and it gets very dark and we have personal relationships with the women in this case and it's very difficult to talk about, but it is easy to find bright spots. And one of those was this past weekend when we did have the event at Guvea, uh, Paul Vincent Doreen's brother was able to come out and spend some time with us. And Doreen's aunt Debbie was there too. They haven't seen each other since Doreen went missing when Paul was about three, 30 yeah. years ago. Um, and we've spoken to Paul, everything that Paul has told us is off the record, but I hope he won't mind me mentioning that he got out of the car, he greeted Debbie and me, and he said, before we even say anything, I want to give you these photos. Um, and he gave Debbie all the original photos of Doreen and they were, you know, the colors were just jumping right off the page. Cause I had pictures of pictures, but, mm-hmm. um, he wanted to make sure that Donna had those photos and, that was Mark Vincent's son reaching out to Donna to make sure that she had that little piece of her daughter. And that's why we're doing what we're doing for moments like that. And to hopefully provide the family some hope that we can turn this around. And we're really trying to really get more people involved in this too. Uh, Jess just talked about how Lauren Takoris at the Record Journal is doing a big story on this on this case and everything that we're trying to do with the podcast and everything that 
Jess has been able to gather so far with the people that she's interviewed and all the documents that you've been able to uncover and whatnot. This story that Lauren is writing, this feature story, uh, I sent her Paul's pictures this morning. We're really hoping that the community sees what we're doing here because a lot of people we've noticed, I've noticed, are joining the page every day. I get requests every day to join the followers of Faded Out group. I'm approving people every day to come in there, and vast majority of them are from Wallingford or Meriden or somewhere in the surrounding area. And I think more and more people are finally listening to us. And I think it's high time that Doreen got this level of attention, which which never happened before. And um, I'm not going to get into all of this right now, but I will say that um, it's a hell of a lot more attention than the Wallingford PD ever gave to her. Or even really the Record Journal. Mm -hmm. um, first article appearing on June 28th, 1988, when she'd been gone for at least 13 days. Mm -hmm. um, I was shocked by the amount of people that came out to join oh, us. Oh, yeah. At it was like 20 people, 20 or so people, probably more than that. I think out. even more because, yeah. like, my sister was there with her husband. Uh, Alyssa, I love you, but I'm not counting you because you yeah. <laughs> legally had to come. <laughs> Lauren was there, Paul and Debbie, but it, there were women who have lived on the street that barely knew anything about the case. Her teacher, Mr. Pannone, came out. Tom Pannone came out, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and I think people are really starting to get very upset as they should be by the fact that they're hearing about this child for the first time. Um, just recently in the news, a little girl from Norwalk, her killer was identified. Mm -hmm. She was raped and murdered in 1986. Kathleen Flynn. It's a big story going on in Connecticut right now. She was 11. People are talking about the Bearbrook kids that have been identified yep. with DNA. Uh, those people's faces are known nationwide. And look, we're not doing this for our own exposure. I want this little girl to get the coverage that she deserves because unfortunately, and this is going to sound really morbid, but in those cases they have bodies Yeah, and they have something, some sort of DNA to measure it against. But for Doreen, we need to know where she is so we can get an even bigger ball rolling. I, we should mention too, another humongous story that's going on in Connecticut right now is a missing mother out of New Canaan, Connecticut by the name. Her name is Jennifer Dulos. And if you watch the news, then I'm sure you've heard this story by now because it's received national attention. Um, and I believe, Jess, you had mentioned that Debbie sort of made a comment to you that it's, you know, a little bothersome that even after all this time, Doreen's case, even with what we're doing now, it still isn't getting the same level of attention that even a current missing mother, Jennifer Dulos, is getting right now. Right. And you do have to bear in mind that when Doreen disappeared, there's no Internet. There aren't any podcasts. But I think the other night I was out at dinner and there was a television on in the background. Jennifer Dulos has been missing for about 26 days. Yeah. Um, she's a beautiful mother of five. Uh, they found evidence related to what seems to pretty obviously to be her murder, but there's no body. But, you know, Debbie pointed out um, the Duloses have a lot of money yeah. and a lot of resources. Um, they lived in two big, beautiful houses here in Connecticut. And I think it's it's really upsetting to Debbie to see somebody like that, 
you know, a woman of privilege get media attention that her niece never did. So like we said, we're really working hard to change that. Yeah. And I think that at this point, more and more people are listening. And I do think that it's coming because we're working on that. We're working at getting more media outlets to pay attention to what we have to say. And it is happening. Uh, People have started to finally respond to us. And I think you're going to start to hear a little bit more regarding Doreen very soon, I think. But I think for this portion of the sexual abuse episodes, the signs, um, I think we can wrap this up as of right now. So I want to say thank you for listening to this special episode. And we are going to continue this short series within the podcast regarding sexual abuse. Um, We're going to keep this discussion going because we do want to specifically delve more into the underwear photos, which we've mentioned in every single episode, but we've never devoted an entire episode to it. And I think that that's on the cusp of happening next and the investigation that followed after that. Right. I mean, ask yourselves why we are reading articles in the very beginning of doing this podcast that specify underwear photos, and they still seem to be some dark, dirty secret in the investigation. Look, we don't like talking about them either, but uh, there's definitely, they should be on everybody's radar as far as motive is concerned, as far as a timeline is concerned, as far as identifying suspects, maybe other than Mark are concerned, but um yeah, that deserves its own treatment. Yeah. So I want to thank Jessica fritz for coming in again and having this discussion. We will see you on the next episode where we will be delving more into the photos and what was going on there. I'm Sarah Dimio. See you next time. <laughs>